0: What's up, guys? Welcome into uh, episode one of Sweatbets Offseason. So as we said in uh, our finale of the, the season, the Super Bowl wrap up, um, we're kind of transitioning in the offseason. We're going to talk about some, um, you know, just some interesting topics around sports gambling and stuff. And Chris, uh, Dirty Dirty CL, our producer, the goat. Um, was really excited to share a story about um, Randy Lanier. Am I saying that right? Randy Lanier. Mm -hmm. And uh, also, Ryan Delmas is in the building. What the fuck is good? Yeah, yes, sir. So uh, I'm not going to waste too much time. Chris has got this uh, nice uh, deep dive plan for us. So me and Delmas are going to buckle in and uh, let Dirty Dirty CL take over. It's like storytelling time. We're all just the listeners. Gather around the fire. Gather around the fire. Storytelling time. Um, So this
1: guy that we're going to talk about is kind of a understated figure, I think. Um, if there was anyone that, th- that was that was gonna have like a documentary made about them or something, it's definitely this guy. Um, I can't understand why there's not more about him and I can't believe that I've just heard about him a year ago. but um, Randy
0: Lanier.
1: yeah, since I found out about him, I've been fascinated by his life. Uh, so we're gonna kind of look into what his life is like pretty much from birth um kind of jump oh, ahead straight him. to high school and stuff like that but this is a crazy story and it's going to take some time to get through um this is going to be a gonna be i'm not gonna lie
2: i you've told us this story before kind of but i forgot everything about it because once you brought up racing i was like are we talking about the same story because i don't yeah. we about basketball <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I didn't uh I, I i don't remember the story either i don't know maybe i wasn't there when you told it or something but uh i've i've when you told us about wanting to kind of do this segment i made sure at that point to cut off any information that could be coming in about Randy yeah. Lanier cuz i wanted to be complete, you know, uh Lanier virgin here. Yeah. And uh,
1: and a little disclaimer since he's so like he's not like a popular kind of person, um articles about him are sparse. I kind of had to rely on several long-form articles. Um going to go ahead and name those cuz some of this is borderline plagiarism. Um, okay, yeah, that's we that love to hear. the way now. A by, the, we love.
0: by the way, it's important for me to mention, uh, like I did when we were worried about slandering that LSU booster. Um, If we do get sued, Chris will be representing himself as uh, <laughs> the sole party of sweat bet. So let's get that out of the way. Yeah, go ahead.
1: So I got I got all my info from the uh, Broward Palm Beach New Times, an article written by Ray Downs. I got another Shout one. Yeah, from the Rolling Stone, Damon Tabor. Um, oddly enough, Maxim had a really great article. Um, I'm I'm extra excited now. AJ Bame wrote that, and then Wikipedia with all kinds of stuff. Um, but it was really tough to put this together because I wanted to do this chronologically, but um, certain articles will just glaze over like a major event. Um, so I've got a, I've got kind of everything laid out chronologically, so we'll get to kind of see a full picture. Um, so I guess we'll just dive right in. Yeah. Well, Randy Lanier's blue thunder racing team comes in with a lot of confidence, but turns at the end. Top you. is like
2: waiting for a baby. Also, we saw Randy Lanier
1: mentioned there. He's the highest placed rookie. So Randy Lanier, he was born in Virginia back in like the early nineteen sixties. Um, the
0: best, uh, not the best time to be born. The best time to be alive though. Right. (laughs)
1: Uh, he had a dad who was like a draftsman and worked on a tobacco farm. His mom worked at like a psychiatric hospital. Um, they were super poor. They didn't even have running water. Um, they worked really hard though. And, uh, Lanier spent his time like feeding his grandparents, pigs and catfishing and like living a real country boy lifestyle getting his hands Um, dirty it's not much
2: but it's an honest living
1: yeah so things things kind of changed that when he turned 13 they moved to hollywood south florida have you guys heard of hollywood south florida
0: there's actually a sweet hard rock hotel there
1: my my buddy actually helped build that
2: hotel
0: yeah same Uh, my buddy as well really the same buddies well they, they work for the same company
1: Ah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> so, for those of you who haven't heard of Hollywood, South Florida, it's right in between Fort Lauderdale and Miami. Um, I've got some notable people from there. It's the hometown of Marquise Brown of the Ravens. Yes, Hollywood uh, Brown. Joe DiMaggio of the Yankees. Oh, bad man. Uh,
0: Norman Reedus from
1: The Walking Dead. Who's, who's like, that? Oh, Wait, that, which uh, which
0: one is he? Yeah. he's the
1: one that like shoots the arrow and stuff. He's got a real stupid
0: looking face. Oh, uh, <laughs> I like all of um, them. What's his name in the show? There's
2: I don't know. They like made that game I about know. him too.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, he's, um, he's a badass dude. Don't say he has a stupid look. He's the oh, best character. The main on the character? Show. Is it he's the main character? Like a, nah, it's the. He's one of the main characters as the show goes on. He's got. He's always looks. Always looks pissed off. Yeah, that's that's what I meant.
1: He's got he's got kind of a resting bitch face. Yeah, Randy. Um, but yeah, famous actor and the lead guitarist from Fallout Boy. Boy. Okay we're talking. Ironically, the host of America's Most Wanted. Um, you say Joe Walsh? Joe, John Walsh, not Joe Walsh. John uh, <laughs> Joe Walsh is cooler. So he moved here, and obviously pot is pretty big in South Florida, um, especially back in the uh, 70s. Um, so by age 14, he kind of became a part of the counterculture um, he started smoking weed. He grew his oh, hair out, um, hmm. which ironically got people to start at people started asking him where they could get some weed because um, I guess back then that's what hippies <laughs> did. Like if you wanted to get some weed, you asked a guy with long hair. Fair. That's uh, still
0: probably plays. And in yeah. South Florida, you probably don't miss too much on that.
1: Absolutely not. <laughs> for sure. So his dad wasn't happy about him like growing his hair out and kind of turning into a hippie. Um, so naturally, when your dad asks you to get a haircut, you just run away at 14 um, for a little while. So he took a little bit of weed, like $20, and quote unquote, a couple hits of acid.
0: He's nice.
1: 14. F14. And he and his buddy hitchhiked all the way up the East Coast to Ontario. And on the way, they stopped by his hometown, Lynchburg. They stopped through Philly and they went to Boston and then he went home. But he basically just spent a summer running up the East coast living life on the road. That's the difference in teenagers now and teenagers in the seventies. Exactly. That's I guess it true. was, you do anything you want back then. Teenagers Absolutely. now just, they get their haircut, you know, they just so they, play video games. Yeah. They just get their haircut. They listen to their parents. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think mullets are in now. Um, Ooh, that's big.
2: I think I, good I have a mullet period,
1: gene. So that might be good for me. Oh goodness. Um, So, anyway, after his little uh, stint on the road, he went home and he started attending Miramar High School, which I I have some notable folks here. Let's go. Johnny Depp graduated from here. Um, Geno Smith graduated from here. West Virginia. From West Virginia. Dolphins. No, never mind. I'm thinking about Pat White. And uh, (laughs) Herb Miller. I don't know who Herb Miller is. Okay, good name, though. <laughs> <laughs> at some point. Great name. Verb?
0: Yeah. Herb.
1: Oh, Herb. Herb. I like Verb Miller better. I do, too. So by age 15, so he's 15 now, and he has a job working in construction. Um, so while he's doing this, he's also selling a little bit of weed on the side so he can smoke for free. Um, he thought that was just a chill thing to do at the yeah, time. He has to
0: come up. man. He had long hair. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: exactly. Um in his free time him and his buddies would travel like in a lime green van to go see bands. They got they saw like Pink Floyd, the Grateful Dead, and the Beach Boys and went to all these huge music festivals. Again, he's like 15. That's so the Eagles. Hopefully the Eagles. I'm sure he saw the Eagles. He sounds like a Deadhead. <laughs> yeah, he saw he saw the Grateful Dead. Deadhead big time. Um so Articles are kind of saying, like, it's speculated that he kind of downplayed the amount of weed he was selling in, like, the super early days when he was, like, 15 and 16. Um, but it's pretty evident that he, like, ranked up pretty quick. Um, at age 17, he was caught with an ounce of weed at school, um, Jeez, which is just... Like kid, cannabis. Insane, yeah. I forgot um, about that movie. And again, as you do, he didn't want to deal with the suspension, so instead he just dropped out. Um he got his GED later. This guy doesn't like adversity like no, what he does. Absolutely not. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to like authority either. Um, no. So he or got his guys. GED and he put all of his focus into his pot business because um, it was working pretty well for 17. He was making pretty good money. He also <laughs> kept working in that construction gig. Um, so now he's dropped out of high school. He's got his GED and he has nothing to do but sell some pot. Um so ounces turned into pounds, pounds turned into bales, which are bales. 50 pounds. <laughs> literally that's 50 pounds of pot wrapped up. Um the size of a hay bale, it's enormous.
0: Um he's using. So you carry that thing. I guess it's only 50 pounds. That's silly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's, like, it's giant di- the fuck.
0: <laughs> It's giant, hey, It's big. It big. So, eventually,
1: by the time he was twenty, he had enough money to buy a twenty-seven-foot Magnum Sports speedboat. Um, Think like the cigarette boats, just the huge, big, badass boats. Um, it cost him eighteen grand, which is ninety-two thousand dollars in today's money. Um, at twenty years old. So, and he said, he says he just bought it for something to do on the weekends, you know, fish and boat around. Um, and then one of his buddies suggested that he use it to smuggle 750 pounds of pot in from the Bahamas. 750 uh, how much? 750
0: pounds? 750 oh, pounds
1: in this boat. That's a lot of bales. That's 15 bales. That's a... That's a shitload of bales. It is. <laughs> I tried to so, yeah, do the math, math on that one real quick. That was, yeah. that was really quick math. Oh, shit. So, keeping up with his trend of making very responsible decisions, he uh, made his first run. Um, he went out to the Bahamas. Um, he ran into a lot of issues on his first run. Uh, the guy who was supposed to drop off all those bales was late. The oh. weight of the weed weighed down the boat. So, it, uh, it eventually resulted in some engine troubles on the way back. Um, Jeez. but he still managed to like evade the Coast Guard, and he got home, <laughs> and he banked five thousand dollars for that job, which seems five thousand dollars, five grand. Because he's not actually selling the weed; he's just smuggling it. Um, he basically he's the middleman. Yeah, he's a middleman, so he's basically making deals with these South Florida dealers.
0: Wait a second! Wait a second! Wait a second! How does he fit fifteen bales? On a cigarette boat, it was twenty-four foot,
2: twenty-seven feet, twenty-seven foot. That's a I big but. Each bale's got to be like. I don't think that when you say when he says bale, I don't think he's talking hay bales. Those things are bigger
0: than fifty pounds too. I can pull up a picture of a bale of a weed. All right, all right, that's I'm 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 getting a sidetrack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Regardless, I he fit it in the actual there, bail.
1: but just barely. I read one report where like he couldn't go down into the hole because it was just stuffed to the brim with pot.
2: Um,
1: Sounds about right. It's going to, it's going to be important later. Um, So basically he had these arrangements with these South Florida dealers to make that trip to the Bahamas and smuggle it back into the country. And he'd take 20 to 30% of the value. Um, He kept doing that pretty regularly. It became just like, he stopped selling weed And just focused on smuggling Um, Around that same time He started a business That rented jet skis um, I assume to cover up All the money he was making From smuggling pot Um, And he also married His high school sweetheart Pam Who he later had a couple of kids with You mean his GED sweetheart?
2: Yeah, I was going to say Did she finish high school?
1: Um, I have no idea I think she was Mm -hmm. some kind of musician At some point so, mm. no, probably not. So probably yeah. not. Yeah. 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 No she offense to any guy. musicians out there. Um, All the offense. So, anyway, this, this keeps going on and just getting a little bit bigger. So, he bought two more speedboats. Um, he said that none of it seemed particularly difficult. Um, Florida has these intercoastal waterways that just like straight off the ocean, you could just weave up in there and get lost. Um, he called it a smuggler's paradise because there's literally no way for the coast guard to track you through the swamps of florida you yeah, could just they didn't have like all the crazy technology that they do now to track people down um yeah. so he was pretty much like scot free every time so a few years later after doing this and i mean like 2 years later he had three stash houses west of fort lauderdale and he was making like hundreds of thousands of dollars Um, doing these smuggling runs so just as a side kind of a sidetrack on one of those smuggling runs he kind of got caught up in a mess he got caught in a tropical depression Um, he had 20 foot waves just like knocking his boat around Um, and after he left the pickup point in the Bahamas he had to anchor near this place called Great Isaac K which is a small island about 100 miles east of Miami. Do we have any notable people from there? Uh, no one. I don't think, I don't even know if anyone lives there. Okay. <laughs> um, Worth asking. So he was there for a day and a half and he couldn't go below deck because every inch of space was taken up by bricks of pot. So and wait, was he just getting rained on? It was, he was in a tropical depression. Yeah. So he was pissed on. Basically, basically like he, because- was,
0: he was like on the deck, I guess, just getting yeah. like poured mm-hmm. down rain on. Yes. Yeah. For a day and
1: a half. And he only left because a Coast Guard helicopter showed up, it started hovering above him, trying to offer him some help, um, which obviously nice. that's not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he took off and he managed to make it to Bimini, which was like an 18 mile trip. And he took cover. Make it and to what? Bimini. The Bimini. Bimini oh bamini
0: this is a place
1: this is a place i think it's somewhere on the coast of florida okay um he basically said he was just waiting for the weather to break and that he didn't let fear creep into his head but he didn't he definitely didn't want to let the coast guard help him out of that situation um but that whole experience only served to like further attach him to this because at this point it was just like he's committed he was having a blast honestly
0: Mm. i mean what what else i mean besides i mean obviously there's probably a long list of horrible consequences but if you're spending an entire day and a half in a tropical depression getting poured down rain on while on your boat i mean it it doesn't get much further like low than that you know like you've pretty much seen the worst of it i feel like
1: yeah Yeah. but then he you know dropped off like 750 pounds of pot and made a
0: fortune yeah i mean that's what i'm saying like after he went through that i mean at that point it's like what, what are you, who's going to stop me? You it's know, I just, for just the game. On, I just took on Poseidon, you know? Mm. So he's doing these smuggling runs,
1: making a lot of money doing it. And about that same time, a new strain of pot grown on the peninsula of Colombia, I believe was kind of getting popular in the U S it was called Colombian gold. Um, And it basically fueled a boom and really increased the popularity of smoking pot in the United States. Um, Just a little while later, the peninsula of Guajira, which is where all the smugglers go to load up their boats. Mm -hmm. They had 100 loading facilities for motherships, which were freighters or fishing vessels capable of transporting bales by the ton to islands near the U.S., um obviously a bunch of locals over in um guajira were making a lot of money off of this they called it the marijuana bonanza which is marijuana bonanza sure. <laughs> sounds um, like the toyota thon exactly still in the 70s the toyota thon we're i think we're in the 80s now well no we're in 1978 okay so Anyway, people are getting rich off of this and even people back on the Florida coast are also getting rich off of this cuz everyone's getting into the smuggling game now cuz it's like like he said earlier, it's easy, like it's pretty much risk-free. Um, so basically at this point, he was making like regular runs. He was making tons of money. Um, and then at age 24, he decided to enter the indie car racing scene. And he met some equally questionable guys.
0: What a yeah! Uh, I don't even know what to, a career move. You know, I mean that's crazier than Michael Jordan playing baseball. Up, exactly. up to this
2: point, people were probably like, "Where does the sports come into
1: this?" Yeah.
0: Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> Here it oh, is. Wow. We're talking we're talking about sports. this dude smuggling drugs yeah. off the guys to Florida.
1: I it is a different. Bets. We're talking about sport, a sport that we haven't talked about. I don't think. Um, no, we give out picks every week for IndyCar. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: (laughs) I'm gonna smith
0: this week. Easy,
1: yeah, bonjour. So basically, he he got bored, he got he thought that his runs smuggling pot were getting too monotonous, I guess, and he wanted something kind of fun to do. Plus, he had tons of money. Um, so in 1979, he went to this car show in Miami, um, Sports Car Club of America had a booth and they were offering driving classes and kind of a path to amateur racing. Um, so he talked with them, did some driving classes, and then he pretty impulsively bought a old beat up 1957 Porsche 356 Speedster, um, which is just a tiny little car, um, obviously really old. It was in terrible shape and it was wired
0: with like cords that you'd use to plug a lamp into the wall. Um, Okay, so, so that honestly, I will say one thing I'll say. This is still, this is what, 1980 at this point? 1980 something? 1979. 1979 still? Okay, the fact that somebody's car is running with cords that come from lamps that you plug into the wall is actually really impressive. So whatever redneck, whatever redneck rigged that up, like... We need more. That's huge. We need more of that. That's yeah, huge. That is huge. This, That's the something first thing going on out there in the backwoods community that is seriously powerful that we could use, yeah. you know, to improve society as Dude, a whole. We, need,
1: we, if we just tap Florida for all their energy, we'd be great.
0: Rednecks Absolutely. invented Tesla, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say
2: we don't need Elon Musk we need more of these guys.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have lamps in my apartment right now. Yeah, here's a lamp. It's like that.
2: That can power a car.
0: Yeah, what more can you ask for? So So anyway, he he ripped all that
1: shit out. Uh, (laughs) He replaced the brakes. He put in a roll cage. And he basically turned that shitty vehicle into a race car. Um, Shortly after that, and after a couple of racing classes, he entered his first race in West Palm Beach. And he won it. Um, So at this
0: point, he was now hooked to racing. He won his first race. Yes. Yes. That's pretty impressive. Now, it's like he an, also just it,
2: rigged a car, too. You can't be too surprised. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's true.
1: I mean, it's, it's an amateur race, but his, his teacher said that he was one of his best students that he had ever taught. He said he picked up on it really quick. He was a quick study um, and just kind of had a knack for it. Mm-hmm. So he wanted racing to be his career. Um, I'll mention he's still smuggling pot, like between. Wait,
0: them. wait, he's, wait he's still smuggling? Oh, he's not done. Um, racing is expensive. Oh yeah. It makes sense. So absolutely
1: he's, and and he hasn't made any, I mean, he's making good money, but he's not making crazy money. Mm -hmm. Um, this guy's versatile. Big time. Really is. And he has, he's, it seems like he's kind of drawn to things that are kind of crazy.
2: Yeah. I was say life on the edge, wild,
1: something like that out, out there. Right. Right. So he had a knack for driving and he kind of started climbing the ranks in the amateur leagues to try to break into professional racing. Um, and in 1981, he did just that and made his debut in the Emsa Camel GT series at the Daytona finale. Um, and if you guys wanted to look up what in what the Emsa Camel GT series is, it'll show you what kind of cars they race. Picture like a Formula One car, but with like, a full body cover on top. Mm-hmm. They're real like low and sleek, pretty cool looking cars, really wide. Um, and they partners, low to the
2: ground too, aren't they?
1: Like very low. low. Yeah. Just, just like a formula one car, but with more body. Um, he partnered with Dale Whittington, whose brothers are going to be pretty important later on. There's uh, Dale
0: Whittington, the Whittington family, the Whittington yep. family, <laughs> motherfuckers. Dale,
1: always some Dale is a, Dale is a good guy. Um so his good. his run at the Daytona finale did not go good. Um they finished 30th. Um and and basically the premise behind these races these these IndyCar races they last for like anywhere between like 6 and 24 hours. So you have partners and you swap drivers every few hours to keep, Jeez. you know, to keep the drivers fresh and make sure that everything's safe. Uh, now is that
2: all IndyCar do you know because like I right, like talk about one sport i know nothing about is indycar somebody's trying to get it, because well okay let me take it back indycar and formula one same thing
1: or not um formula one i would i would consider formula one to be like you're talking like the top of the line like okay companies like mercedes will sponsor a formula one team and build it from the ground up and spend like north of 40 million dollars to build a car um okay so, Indy is kind of like the more endurance-based, kind of, I don't want to say amateur, but like, mm-hmm. you know, punchy. It's a common man car. Yeah, it's, it's like the sister of Formula One. Okay. Um, just picture longer, and you got multiple drivers, and you got teams. Um, yeah. Just kind of things like thing. that. I don't like that. I don't like the switching up.
0: I like, like a race that goes for twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, um, so he finished thirtieth. So that was
1: you know not very notable, but that was his first debut. Um, following season, he was at the twenty four hours of Daytona, which is similar to twenty four hours of Le Mans, which is a gargantuan race. It's the biggest endurance race in the world, um, and this is this was the biggest or actually the only marathon race of its kind in the U S at the time. Um, he was, he was just there kind of spectating or on a crew and he was called upon to fill in for Janet Guthrie, who was actually the first woman to qualify Uh, for both the Indy 500 and the Daytona 500. Wow. What year? This is
0: 1980. We are in 1981. Very progressive, very progressive of the, the racing, the racing uh, industry. NASCAR would never. And she was actually (laughs) pretty good at racing.
1: Um, But she was sick that day. So they called on Lanier after he impressed them with a couple of laps to do the race for and to fill in. So him and his two partners, they ran the race in third place for 18 hours until it was Lanier's turn to take over early in the morning. And someone said he looked kind of nervous in the pits, and they didn't really want him to drive. Anyway, he uh, immediately drove the car off the course and destroyed the suspension. So they did not finish that race after eighteen Jeez. hours. That's so, disgusting.
0: what are you doing?
1: Brandy, yeah, brandy, brandy. Well, you can't get it. You can't get it first try. I, I, I think that it's easy to underestimate how difficult any sort of
0: racing is. There's. Oh. I don't doubt that, but like, also, like, he jumped in the driver's seat Ooh. and then drove it off the course. It can happen for any. This number. guy's built different. I bet Janet was sick that night.
1: Absolutely disgusted. <laughs> she was still sick. all this she did, everything she did. <laughs> but Nothing. um, so yeah, that was kind of a bummer for him.
0: But to say the least, he, he's. I bet it. he killed some whiskey. Oh, he, he probably did. And moonshine. he's not going to give up yet.
1: Um, so he wasn't having much success in the professional racing world. Um, but he was still a super busy guy. Um, again, we're in like 1981 pot smoking is getting more and more popular in the country and a smuggling business is still growing at like a super fast pace. Um, so we needed some help. um, Conveniently, powerboat racing and car racing, which are things that he did, um, they attracted the kind of people who would be down to start a smuggling ring. Um, Okay. One guy who commented on the story said that probably 70% of people who did powerboat racing also smuggled pot, and probably about 20% of IndyCar drivers smuggled pot or were in the drug trade in some way.
0: So basically South Florida was just keeping marijuana alive for the whole United States. Exactly. It was just um, a beating heart for pot in 1980, the Bahamas, Columbia, all
1: the way into South Florida and then all across the country. And Lanier was kind of at the center of it. Um, Pablo so, Escobar of pot. Yeah, yeah. So he, so he, he hooked up with uh, this guy named Ben Kramer. Um, and he is an offshore powerboat racer and a native of Hollywood. They actually went to high school together. He had just gotten out of prison for drug smuggling. So he had job experience. Right up his alley. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, this guy, Ben Kramer, introduced Lanier to traffickers in Colombia. Uh, this is
2: where it's going to get, no, get
1: weird. Yeah. Mm. So that connection meant that he was no longer a middleman, he's not just a distributor. He can now buy the stuff directly from the source and really boost his profit margin. Um, once he had Kramer on board, he went and bought a bigger boat, a 65-foot cigarette boat
0: he called the Ursa Major Jeez. that would allow him to go straight feet. to the source. That's longer than an 18-wheeler. That's about it's, the same length as an 18-wheeler. It's enormous. It cannot be understated how huge a 65-foot boat is. <laughs> That's um, disgusting. That's disgusting.
1: So now he can go to Columbia and transport 18,000 pounds of pot at a time.
0: Goodness. Which About is, hay bales. He's probably going under and uh, in, in, inside this, on this boat. Probably so. I mean, he's, he, he basically hired a captain to go.
1: Um, that guy's name was Leroy Slick Whisser, which
0: is a ridiculous name. That is a that's great a, name.
1: That's a good <laughs> boat captain name.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Great
2: boat captain name.
0: L- Leroy Slick Wither.
1: So basically, he would send this guy, Slick, to Columbia. Slick. I and tell him to pack as much pot as he could into the boat and make the trip home. Um, he said you could buy as, mo- as much pot as your boat could hold and that the smuggling ports were always crowded. Um, So kind of a little snapshot into this time period um it's 1982 now um he's standing on the deck of a rented house on melbourne beach it's after midnight um lanier and kramer are out there with they're wearing night vision goggles and they got spotters nearby they're watching for cops and a line of inflatable zodiac boats like dinghies are kind of sitting on the beach they each got a single pilot um, and his first shipment of Colombian gold comes into view on the beach. He had set up a blinking strobe light and Kramer radioed the Ursa captain. All slick and old the Zodiacs slick. motored out into the surf. And then in the Atlantic, they quickly transferred 50 pound bales into their smaller boats. And then they navigated back up to the shore using the strobe light as a homing beacon on the beach, a human chain of unloaders hauled the bales to a convoy of waiting vans. He really is like Pablo Escobar. This is—they like, had a whole <laughs>
2: system. Like everyone, it
1: was like a hundred-man operation. He had a convoy of waiting vans, which ferried them to his stash house. The next day, he sold the entire fifteen thousand-pound load for nearly four and a half million dollars. Jeez. Um, and he said was that was. Then. He said that like, was the beginning.
0: Yeah, um, how do you, I mean, how do you? He, greed takes over at that point. It's like, how do you just make that much money at once, and then that easily? Stop. Yeah, and then just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go back to work. I'm about to go wake up at. Or actually, I guess he, he who's well, he was losing money racing, so yeah, he would definitely need a job. Exactly. He has four and a half million
1: dollars now, which is in you know the 1980s a shitload of money.
0: Um, it's a shitload of money in 2021,
1: too. Yeah, like well, that he has.
2: But then it's like I don't, I don't know the inflation or whatever on that, but it's more than that, I would think.
0: It's, yeah, definitely, it's probably yeah, right. equivalent to like 20 million today. I would bet.
1: Yeah, that is true.
0: It's a lot of money to make him one
1: little trip. Um, so now he's just completely lush with money. Um, him and Pam. Moved into a big old five bedroom ranch house that he had platinum sinks in. He had a private lake stocked with fish. He had a pair of Rottweilers to patrol his house. He bought himself a new Porsche. He bought a Mercedes for Pam. And Jeez. Pam Where's said, the "IRS." <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll get to that later. Um, they always ruin the fun. Yeah. <laughs> so Pam said it looked like Scarface's house. Um, she had Absolutely. no problem with this, by the way. Um, she was ecstatic about his career. Um, she said they had everything they wanted and that it was a long way from the tobacco farm in Virginia. And when Lanier basically said that all this money and newfound wealth was coming from his little jet ski business. Um, oh, I forgot
0: about the jet ski business. That's
1: imp- The jet ski business is huge. Which now has several locations and is apparently making $4.5 million dollars a year yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> tax evasion. Let's go. All right, now we're gonna head back into racing. So sports. He's, he's still doing <laughs> the racing thing. Um, so after his first big sale as a legitimate you know supplier, um, and despite his failure at the Daytona race, another team invited him back to race in a Ferrari. At the biggest endurance race in the world, 24, 24 hours of Le Mans. Why know don't if I'm you saying trust this guy in a Ferrari? Yeah,
0: He's after he driver, uh, after he shit the bed at the twenty four hours of Daytona, I'm not letting him in another twenty four hours. No race, not not at the
1: Super Bowl of racing. Yeah, this yeah. is this
0: is the Super Bowl of of endurance racing for sure.
1: Um, they flew him out with his wife in a private jet, and they stayed in a fifty six room chateau. Um, and Lanier says that's when it hit him that the lifestyle, the racing, the whole package, that it was something that he wanted to be a part of. Um, he wanted that like lush, he already had a lush, lush lifestyle, but he wanted it to be attached to racing and not have to live in this kind of obscure, like he wanted his accomplishments to be
0: public. I'm sure. Mm
1: -mm. Yeah. He wanted to be, you know, known for something. Um, so, he competed in Le Mans and failed again. Is uh, this overseas? Yes, it's it's on the Isle of Le Mans, which Thank is you. a beautiful place and is pretty much only known for this race. So, it's it's literally a tiny island. I don't know what it's off the off the coast of, but literally every year they have they do motorcycle endurance races, which are twice as insane. Um. But he basically he went out there. This was a team of three for these races, so you know, three shifts of eight hours. No, um, absolutely brutal. And and they're going like two hundred and five miles an hour this whole time. Um, and this isn't just like a circular track. Like this is like no, this is this is in like a, a picture like a European countryside. Yeah, with hills and cliffs and all kinds of crap and that's what they're driving you know up to 200 miles an hour on for 24 hours straight i bet when that eight
2: hours is over with and you're like tapping out and you're like you're up next i bet that's the like best feeling in your uh, life oh
0: yeah it's like getting off work it's yeah, like uh, that, that that meme of the popeyes lady she's just yeah, I just, oh, I was just worn out bro or mm-hmm. the the more recent picture it hasn't become a meme yet but it should of the Domino's workers in texas in San Diego, oh. <laughs> they were the only place open. <laughs> they just—they're so worn out. <laughs> I they, they just served like two
2: tours in Iraq overnight. Yes, just like dude, worn out. Place
0: looks like a grenade went off in the freaking kitchen. <laughs> uh, anyway, back so Lanier. Yeah, so they ran out of gas and did not finish the race. Jeez.
1: This dude sucks. You're <laughs> a smuggler. Racing. How do you run out of gas, dude? They—they they, it's racing science, you gotta, they have limits on how much fuel you can put in these race cars at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, So while they're driving that fast, they also have to be careful about how much fuel they're using. Um, And people used to get really creative about cheating the fuel. They'd make their fuel lines bigger to accommodate a little more gas. Um, They'd hide fuel tanks underneath the actual fuel tanks. Um, And racing apparently and i imagine if some like nascar fan or true indycar fan or formula one fan heard this they'd be mad but apparently in racing cheating is sort of normal
0: and oh, i've i've heard in like nascar they're they'll like make their cars lighter with, yeah without like passing inspection
1: it's yeah it's, it's kind of rampant especially back in the 80s and stuff like people were just trying to get away with anything they could
0: bunch of smugglers
1: (laughs) you can't trust a bunch of pot smugglers um who'd have thought so anyway they ran out of gas um and he still wanted to make his mark on racing um but first he had some other business that he had to tend to so he went back home to florida and the pot business is still booming and growing and by the early 80s about three you mean the jet ski business Yes, the jet ski business is like the most successful business in South
0: Florida. Yeah, everybody's on these jet skis. It's
1: the it's it's the apple of rental rental services. Yeah, his (laughs) partner his partner Ben Kramer had a powerboat rental service. So Mm. they're both just renting watercraft. Um, Oh yeah, and they're making a ton of money. Um, So by the early '80s, about three fourths of the U.S. marijuana supply originated from Colombia. Um, according to a CIA report, a trafficker could earn an investment, a return on investment of around 115% because demand was so high. Jeez. So in 1982, one of Lanier's distributors introduced him and Kramer to another Florida smuggler, George Brock. Um, Brock knew a shipyard owner named Eugene Fisher, who owned an ocean going barge. Um, I'm talking the giant barges that are about a hundred yards long Mm -hmm. Um, and just like literally the size of a football field. Um, And those men got together and they had formed a plan. So they hired a team of welders and they outfitted the barges, ballast tanks with secret compartments. Um, So basically these ballast tanks keep the vessel level in the ocean Um, and if you're a customs agent, like people hid stuff in the ballast tanks, it's just a giant empty space. So it makes sense to put things in there. Um, but the welders kind of made like a false bottom for these ballast tanks so they could fill the top with salt water. Um, and so if a customs agent opened it up, they just see salt water. They wouldn't Mm. suspect anything. Um, So they outfitted all those secret compartments, and then they sailed for the Guajira Peninsula again. Um, They had these tugboats, multiple tugboats, pulling these barges. Um, That George guy handled the offloading crew and the tugboat captains. Um,
0: Do we we still have – what's our guy with the cool name? Um, Slick. Slick slick. Wizard. We still got Slick. Slick i don't know if slick is involved right. in this um really he kept slick around i'm sure
1: slick is involved in some kind of way He was probably you don't really like
0: that. cut people i feel like based on the shows i see you don't really cut people from your operation once they're kind of involved that's a pretty big liability unless you know they want out yeah mm. well even if they want out you still can't really let them out because there's only one way out much. yeah there's yeah you die <laughs> A box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you die, and we kill your you family too. That's yeah. what I've seen on the shows. Obviously, well, not, we'll find out later. Well. He's not.
1: He's not like a Lanier is not like a violent, like gangster type. Is he? he is a hippie. He's a hippie. Yeah, he's he's a hippie that wants a ton of money and he wants to go fast, okay. but can't fill his gas tank up. Yeah, he he he, he can, can fill called, ballast, he but can not fill up. his ballast tank up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so they all work together, um, and they managed to get a ton of weed. Um, the barge itself could hold more than a hundred tons of marijuana.
0: Jeez, man! Do the bail like math on that one. five hundred company at this point. The way they're like, operating, it's like two hundred thousand. If my math is correct,
1: two hundred thousand pounds of pot. Like they're straight up like importing weed. So, it's disgusting. This is we're in early 1983 now, and Lanier is gearing up for his biggest shipment yet. He sent the barge down to Colombia to pick up 130,000 pounds of Colombian gold. Um in Guajira. Welders sealed the bales under steel plates, so they were hidden under that those secret compartments I talked about earlier. Um, Lanier. Moved the barge from Columbia very carefully. Um, he took it to several other overseas ports to kind of cover up its point of origin because he's going into like legitimate ports. This this isn't something that you can take
0: up a swamp. You're not like, sneaking this by anybody. He, mm-hmm. He's gotta he's gotta take this into a port. He's probably dealing with customs. They have customs at those ports, right?
1: They have gets legal. In, and our boy is heading for New York City. So, yes, they had, they had customs. Um, so eventually he got it up to New York into one of the busiest harbors in the country. Um, he sailed it right up the New York East river and docked it at the Brooklyn Navy yard, which was sort of a ruinous shipyard that was prowled by feral dogs. So we're at one of the busiest ports, but we're in kind of a shady area of it. Yeah. Kind of place um, that
0: the Ninja Turtles would hang out.
1: Yeah. So he sat in the car part near the entrance, eavesdropping on radio traffic with a police scanner. Um, he looked in the rear view and saw an NYPD patrol car and told the barge to kind of stay put for a second. And then that cop pulled past him and then turned around and it drove by again. But, but he just kept going. And so Ooh, Lanier gave I'd the I know his clear. heart
0: was in his stomach. Yeah.
1: So Lanier gave the all clear, and uh, his team went to work cutting through the ballast tanks with acetylene torches, revealing 130,000 pounds of weed stacked two stories tall. What? I mean, these ballast tanks are enormous. Like under a barge, it's basically just two giant tanks. Yeah. Like, floaters, um, like a pontoon boat. Yeah. Yes, but much larger. Much, much larger. Well,
0: yeah, I would hope so.
1: Much. Two stories. Yeah. Yeah. Literally two stories. Um, So once his welders finished cutting open the tanks, another team hauled the bales out and loaded them into waiting tractor trailers. So he is loading this weed into semi-trucks in the port of New York, which is insane. No one saw this. No one... This must have
0: taken, like, at a minimum, 12 hours to do. Jeez, and the Uh, NYPD is busy spying on the mafia. Yeah. (laughs) What Um, do they know?
1: Yeah. So soon, the last truck had pulled out of the Navy Yards gate and went into Brooklyn bound for his distributors. Um, So he had basically successfully gotten it off. Um, And that night, he and Kramer rented a private room at a Manhattan restaurant to celebrate and to commemorate their new status as a 100,000-pound class super smugglers, he bought personalized hats for the entire crew that said the 100 Club on it. Oh, my God. So, that one run imported about $40 million worth of pot into the country. Jeez. And he is not done yet. Um. So, After making that huge of a score, he returned home and he set his sights back on professional racing. (laughs) Because what are you gonna do now? You have
0: (laughs) that's where it always it all comes back to the racing.
1: It all comes back to the racing, and it will always come back to the racing. Um so he decided I'm done playing with these teams. I'm gonna start my own racing team. Um he has You know, somewhere around twenty million dollars at this point. So he's gonna take all that drug money he's making and make a racing team. You mean jet ski money? Oh yeah. Jet ski money. And he's gonna call that racing team Blue Thunder. Ah, I love it.
2: I okay, I've been I've been holding this back for a while, but I wish if this guy was just a NASCAR racer, it would be so much cooler. Like think about him being a NASCAR racer. I don't
0: know. This story would just
2: be like absolutely I NASCAR's overrated. I think, but I think he fits a NASCAR racer better than an IndyCar racer.
0: He, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of appreciate the indie fact about it just because it's such like a unique kind of aspect of racing and the whole 24 hour race thing like that. The
2: 24 hour, that is, that is neat. That is interesting.
0: I just, it takes balls to I, do something I, like that.
2: <laughs> this guy winning like a talent, like Talladega would just be like an ultimate.
0: Just taking Dega
1: storyline. He was, he was one of those. I mean, he, his first car was, he bought a, a, like a Porsche. Yeah. He don't, he don't want to go in circles, you know, cars go real fast. Yeah. He's one of them skill drivers. Um, so yeah, he started blue thunder. Um, great name for a racing team too. He, he kind of brought on those, the the Whittington guys. Um, they had no sponsors, um they were pretty much the only team that didn't have any sponsors. Their car, if you look at it, is literally just a blue Porsche, like I think it was a Porsche 918 and the only logos on it were Camel and amazing Goodyear, which I think were like the event sponsors.
0: Yeah, they're just like, like you had to sponsored be there by every jet ski in South Florida. Right.
1: <laughs> had to be there.
0: So we're gonna cut it
1: off there and we're gonna jump into Blue Thunder and kind of his peak in smuggling next week, because that's a there's a whole heap
0: of things to come. Um, but that is the start of Randy Lanier. All right. So next week we can look forward to the end of his smuggling or the peak of his smuggling career. Mm-hmm. We can look we can look towards the peak of his smuggling career. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. I'm ready for the feds to get involved. That's when it's gonna get yeah, wild.
0: The the IRS, the Jakes. We're ready for the Jakes. I can guarantee you that
1: it gets absolutely insane. Um, as if it's not already. Um it's this gonna is just get, the appetizer. Yeah, it's gonna get crazier. Like with this guy, like the the the, the theme is that like he always wants more, he's never satisfied. Like, yeah. he wants more with smuggling, he wants more with racing. Um, and he's not going to stop till he's like the best at everything. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Shout out to the Broward Palm Beach New Times, Rolling Stone, Maximum, Wikipedia.
0: Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also for everybody that has made it this far listening, man, we. Hate you guys! Please turn it. No, just kidding. We love Eat you. Delvis hates you. We don't know why. Facts. Um, yeah, he, I think it's because the Grizzlies lost by thirty the other night. And they're but, getting uh, their backs blown out right now as well. <laughs> I had to stick that in there. Thanks for listening, though, guys. Come back next week for episode two of Sweat Bet's Offseason uh, and learn more about Randy L- Lanier's uh, uh, peak of smuggling and racing. And
2: as always, Corey, fuck the Rebs
0: Damn, that's, they're the number
2: one team in the country, by the way. No one cares about baseball.